Greetings. It's good to be with you, Hope Online. I'm enjoying my fellowship with Steve Chick. Steve's so good, he phones me up almost every week just to check I'm still alive. And it's good to know that he is too. And that the church is doing well in this difficult season. Well done for your hard work. I know for the first few weeks, for most commissioned church leaders, it was a real challenge. It was very busy adjusting to what could happen, what couldn't happen. Getting online meetings sorted out as well was really a challenge for them. But uh, you've all done well and uh, working through it all. And lots of churches in the UK serving their community with social action, food banks and so on. It's harder for our churches out in India and Bangladesh. They're going through really challenging times out in the Philippines too. Spain and Portugal, some of them are working through the issues, hopefully emerging from it. So an unusual season, but God is not in lockdown. And we're going to look at that this morning. We're going to see the Holy Spirit is still available for you and for me to empower us and help us. I want to ask you a question, first of all. Are you an optimist or a pessimist? Do you see the glass half empty or half full and we can be one or the other and I suppose in lockdown that's maybe been exaggerated a little bit are you positive about what's going on are you negative are you looking forward to things being eased in the lockdown or are you cautious a great story I heard from years ago was about a rich man who had two twin boys not only young boys but one was an extreme pessimist and the other one was an extreme optimist. And he thought they were so extreme that he thought he would just do something to bring them more to middle ground. So what he did, when they were out, he went up to the pessimist bedroom and he put lots of presents in there, wrapped up really nice for him to enjoy and hope that would lift his spirits, lift him out of his pessimism. And then he went to the optimist bedroom and he put in there a ton of manure. He shoveled it in, left the shovel there. So he went downstairs, waited for the boys to come in. They came in. They went up to their bedrooms. He gave it a few minutes. Then he thought, surely something's happening by now. So he goes up to the bedroom of the pessimist. And he goes in there and the pessimist boy is sitting in the middle of all of these presents, crying. The presents are unwrapped. He hasn't opened anything. And the father says, why haven't you opened this? He says, well, if I open them, I'll break them. And they look so nice at the moment. Why should I spoil it? So really exasperated, the father said, oh, what can I do? And just moved off and went to the bedroom of the optimist where there was a ton of manure. He opened the door and there was the little boy with a shovel, shoveling it out of the way. And he turned to his dad and he said, I know there's a pony in there somewhere. That's a great story of someone, even though in difficult circumstances, was somebody who was looking for the positive. Now, what are you like with God? Are you an optimist regarding God? Or are you a pessimist? Do you believe God is for you? Do you believe he's got resources for you? Or do you believe that God is finding fault with you and actually is limited in his heart towards you, in his benevolence, in his kindness towards you. If you were looking at the disciples 
between the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus, you would see disciples that had a whole mix. You might be pessimistic, pessimistic rather than optimistic about them. They were afraid. They were doubting. They were full of unbelief, it says in the New Testament. Mary Magdalene, the people on the road to Emmaus, they gave reports about Jesus being alive. And those reports were met with unbelief. And when Jesus appeared to the eleven, he had to rebuke them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe. Even more amazing, Jesus is still commissioning these disciples. He's saying to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, if I was advising Jesus in that context, I'd say, don't Jesus, don't send this lot out. They've got no faith, they're doubting, they're useless. But Jesus commissions them. And even more amazing, we read at the end of Mark 16, they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Wow, what a transformation. Would you like to see that transformation in yourself? I would. I think I'm a reasonably lively Christian, but I want to see my life more and more transformed, not settling down, not living in the past. I would like to see this in myself. So what happens in that period? Well, chronologically, Acts chapter 2 happens. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, the day of Pentecost, and the disciples moved out of weakness and into power to obey the commission of Jesus. Jesus said to them, but you will receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. In the same way, we can all leave weakness and doubt and fear behind and step into the power of the Holy Spirit, who will enable us and encourage us. So why live with less than what's on offer from God? You can be optimistic about God. He has more to give you through his word and through his spirit, through fellowship, as you grow in your walk with him, increasing fruitfulness. So let's be optimistic. Let's read about that amazing event in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, I'm going to read from verse 1 to verse 18, and then from verse 36 to 41. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language, Parthians, Medes, 
and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, They've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they will prophesy. Now then, Peter goes on to talk about Jesus being accredited by God through signs and wonders about him being crucified and raised from the death. And then he talks about David's relationship with his Lord, Jesus. And he goes on to say, we are witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. And then verse 36, therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptised and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. What an amazing day. What an amazing event. Not just for, for the believers, but also for those who were onlookers, those who were looking in. And this event provoked two questions from the unbelievers. The first question was this. What does this mean? They were amazed. They were perplexed. What does this mean? What's going on? And then the second question was, what do we do about this? Brothers, what do we do? What do we do to be right with God? Our issue can be that sometimes we're getting people to try to ask the second question before they ask the first question. And we would like unchurched people sometimes to come and say, what can I do to be a Christian? Without sometimes showing them something that's amazing. Now, I think the church is wonderful, what we're doing together. But sometimes we miss out on this amazing dimension of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And that's what made these people amazing. We're trying to get people into our life as Christians, into our faith. But the Lord wants us to, sh for us to show them something that is amazing. It can be perplexing, 
but actually it's amazing because we are spirit-filled. So how can we stimulate amazement of what we are individually and as a church? And the, the answer is not gimmicks, it's not fads, it's not games, it's not even social media or social action, although these things can be good and they're really helpful, especially in these days. The answer is the power and presence of God the Holy Spirit in all believers. We need to be like the Pentecost church and go back to basics. Now, probably the greatest evangelist in the 20th century was a man called Billy Graham. And he used to go from city to city, speaking at massive rallies. He spoke to millions of people. And he would often say, the Bible says, the Bible says. And at one city crusade, he received criticism because he was saying that. Somebody said, Billy Graham's going to take evangelism back 50 years. And when Billy Graham heard this, he said, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to take it back 50 years. I wanted to take it back 2,000 years. And it's important for us to realize what happens here at the birth of the church is important for us. We need to go back to basics. I don't want to take you back to the 1970s and the 80s, although for me that was a time when many were being baptized in the Spirit and the churches were changing. It was a very exciting season. We might have become familiar, too familiar, with the presence and power of the Holy Spirit and the need of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I don't want to take you back 40, 50 years. I want to take you back to the basics that we see here. There's two reasons to go back to the basics. First is this, God hasn't changed. God still loves the lost. He's still seeking the lost. He wants his church and his followers to be amazing. His grace and his mercy still abound for you. He's patient with you and he still pours out his Holy Spirit. The Spirit is still poured out on people who are thirsty and hungry. And another reason why we should go back to basics is this. People haven't basically changed. It talks in the New Testament about the rise of lawlessness and people being in love with themselves and so on. We can see that. But basically, wickedness has always been there. It's not harder now than ever before. Let's go back to the first family. The first family, Adam and Eve's first son, murdered his brother. And the unbelieving crowd that Peter was talking to on the day of Pentecost, they weren't just a nice group of people. Peter actually accused them. He says, you nailed Jesus to the cross. He said he told them, you crucified Jesus. And he said this, save yourself from this corrupt generation. It wasn't a good time. And even their religion was a black hole of legalism, judgments of laws, of condemnation. So things are not more wicked now. So it's good to go back to basics. God is still the same, wants to pour out, out his spirit today on you and me. Therefore, our methods and our resources shouldn't change, basically. We can use lots of uh, modern innovations. That's good for us to use. But let's not miss out on the basics. What can we see in Acts chapter 1 and 2, which is God's blueprint for us to be an amazing and a growing church? 
Well, we, they see the resurrected Jesus. That must be an amazing for them to see Jesus alive. Even though they doubted and questioned it, there were convincing proofs of the resurrection. They also had Jesus for 40 days teaching about the kingdom of God. What a notebook you would have at the end of that with Jesus himself teaching about the kingdom. That would be amazing to have those notes, those insights, that revelation. 40 days of Jesus teaching. Brilliant. They saw the physical ascension of Jesus and they heard of the testimony of two men in white who said, he's going, but he's going to return again. They stayed together. That's what they did. They stayed together in fellowship. And let, let's be clear about it. The disciples weren't really good at staying. They all ran away when Jesus was crucified. Peter wasn't brilliant even after the resurrection. He said, I'm off fishing. Peter wasn't a great stayer, but they stayed together. And another good thing was they prayed together. And they weren't brilliant at that before. Jesus took them and said, come and pray with me. And he took three of them. He went away and prayed. When he came back, they were asleep. He said, watch and pray so you don't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. They weren't good at staying and praying. But in this season, they were good and they got on with it. These are important components, but there was one essential component still required above all of these. Jesus said this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. To be amazing and effective, we need the filling of the Holy Spirit. We need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said this to the disciples, Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The Church of Jesus Christ is to be a Spirit-filled community. If we're going to be amazing people of God, we need the Holy Spirit. Teaching about kingdom, even from Jesus, and proofs of resurrection were not enough. Even the commissions of Jesus, and the disciples heard several commissions, go, go, they could have been on the way, and Jesus said, no, hang on, just wait, wait. So you can hear commissions, but it's good for you to know the power of the Holy Spirit. Togetherness is good, fellowship is good, serving your community is good. Praying together is good. But we need to make sure we're not going and doing without the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. That's what made the difference. That's what made this group of rel relatively timid disciples bold and powerful, perplexing to those who are looking on, but also amazing that caused the onlookers to say, What's going on here? What do we do to be like this? The church was birthed in the power of the Holy Spirit, not through a press conference, not through sound bites, not through a committee. It was birthed in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is something that was promised by Jesus. It was foreseen by Old Testament prophets. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit will come on you. It's a promise for you. You can have this 
for all. And there were all spirit-filled people here. On the day of Pentecost, all of them were filled. It says all of them were unable to speak in tongues. It was like the anointed body of Christ. No exceptions. It wasn't just the preacher. It wasn't just Peter. It wasn't just the three disciples that Jesus took away with him on different occasions. It wasn't just the 12. It wasn't just men. It wasn't a lottery. Lots of losers, but a few winners. This was for all. If you were a follower of Jesus and you believed in him, in his death and resurrection, and another qualification, if you had a head, there was a flame of God for you. So I want to ask you a good-hearted question. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe he died on the cross for your sins? Do you believe he rose again? He's now reigning in heaven and he pours out his spirit if you believe those things, the other question is, do you have a head? Of course you have a head. Well, I want to tell you, there's a flame of God for you. There were no exceptions. It wasn't because some were mature or gifted or keen or wacky or extrovert. All of them. And there must be in a whole range of personalities. Jesus said to them all, don't go until you've received the Holy Spirit spirit it was supernatural there were manifestations there was noise there were tongues of fire there was a heaven-sent boldness they were nice and loving but it, they weren't just nice and loving doing good works it was certainly not formal and lifeless religion in fact they appeared drunk such was the effect of the spirit on them there was a loosening up maybe of how they were behaving a freedom, a laughter, a joy, an ease that people recognised. There was also here a spirit-filled place. Now, we don't necessarily believe in like holy places, but this was a spirit-filled place. A wind from heaven filled the whole house and the meeting place was shaken. There was spontaneity. Now, we don't worship spontaneity. We need to plan. But here there were things happening suddenly. The wind was blowing they began to speak in tongues. There was wonderful worship. Hallelujah. It wasn't just the worship leader who was into the worship. It wasn't just the worship leader who was ready for worship. They were ready for worship. And they were all joining in in worship, declaring the wonders of God. All of them. A sign of the Holy Spirit coming and filling is, I believe, its effect on our mouth. It affects our vocal chords. You see that right the way through the New Testament. People end up praising God, singing, praying, speaking in tongues, prophesying, witnessing boldly. That's what happens when the Holy Spirit comes. It affects you on the inside, but it's shown through your expression. And this could not be contained. We're living in lockdown days, but the Holy Spirit is not locked down. He's not in lockdown. This spilled out from their gathering out where thousands of people could see what was going on and hear the message of Peter. It wasn't contained. It affected the community. It went from the meeting place into the marketplace. I just want to say, why live with less than what's on offer? Let's not relegate the day of Pentecost just to that day. The Lord is still pouring out his spirit. 
And he says to you, go. But he also says, make sure you're going in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's be baptized with the Holy Spirit. It's what's promised. It's biblical. Don't resist it. Don't quench the Spirit. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. It's the promise of the Father for you. Don't be half-hearted. Don't be complacent. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Jesus says, don't go until you've received power from on high. Don't be afraid. God's gifts are good. You won't be out of control. God's gifts are good. There might be a lightness of spirit, a, a joy that comes to you, but you won't be out of control. And don't be confused about whether it's happened or not. Generally, the New Testament, they knew it had happened. That's why the apostles could follow up ministry in Samaria and Ephesus and say, have you received the Spirit? Because it was evident when the Spirit came. Because there was a massive difference in their praise and worship, speaking in tongues, other things like that. So let's not be confused. But let's not also think we have to be worthy or mature or perfect or that you have had to have had a good weekend or everything in your home has had to have been perfect for you to receive no the qualification is this you are thirsty you are hungry for more of God and Jesus says come to me all you who are thirsty and when we go to him and ask then we can be baptized in his spirit and filled again with his spirit Keep on being filled. Set your sail, the sail of your life, to receive the wind of the Holy Spirit. So, I think we can be optimistic, don't you? The Lord has so much more for us. And all you need, don't bring him perfection. You won't be able to anyway. So let's not play that game. Just bring to him a thirst, a hunger, a desire for more of his power. Teaching is good. We want teaching. We want fellowship. We want prayer. But let's make sure we're not going without the power of the Holy Spirit. We can just come and ask. Jesus said, if you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Let's be optimistic. Let's ask and let's receive and maybe some difference that we see in the lives of these disciples who were doubting, they became bold. Maybe we'll see some of that difference in our lives as well. However you are listening to or watching this, whether you're at home, relaxed, whether you're out and about listening through a podcast or whatever, then actually the Holy Spirit is not restricted by lockdown. He can fill you again today. He can replenish you today. He can baptize you for the first time in his power today. A spirit-filled church is an amazing church. A spirit-filled person is an amazing person. And by being spirit-filled, we want to provoke sometimes perplexity in people, but sometimes an amazement and good questions. Hey, what's going on? What's happened in your life? What must I do to know what you know? Let's pray. Father, I want to pray for dear brothers and sisters who have been listening or watching me. Lord, above whatever I've said or whatever they've seen, 
I ask that they might lift their eyes and their hearts right now to you, mighty God, and receive more of your power and your presence through the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we love you. We love your presence. You pour the love of God into our hearts. You give us assurance of our salvation and you enable us through gifts and you also give us boldness to be strong in witness for you. We need this, Lord, whether we're in lockdown or not. We need it right now in our home, in our workplace, in our traveling. We want more of your spirit. And I pray, Lord, that many people right now will just raise their hands and say, Holy Spirit, come in more of your power into my life and my being. We need you, mighty God, your love. We need you, Lord Jesus, and your work. And we need you, Holy Spirit, for your presence and your power. Come to us. Make us be the people that you always wanted your church to be. Spirit-filled. Amen.